Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, Merry Christmas everyone, whether you are watching online or whether you're one of the hearty people that made it out in person, I'm glad to be with you. Weather's crazy. When I was a kid growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, I used to scoff at people who lived on the West Coast. I thought they were soft because they couldn't handle cold temperatures. However, what I did not realize as a youth growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, was the all of the above nature of BC winter weather. Someone says to you, what was the weather like over the last week? And you say, we don't have time. It'll take too long. Well, how were the last two days? Okay, okay, well, there was wind and then snow. No, rain and then snow and then rain again and then ice pellets, which I had never heard of before, and then rain and then snow and then rain and then I saw somebody paddling a canoe through my cul-de-sac. That was the last couple days. So that was cool. West Coast winter survival kits. Snow shovel, umbrella, ice pick, dinghy. And then one of these days we'll need sunscreen. You know, welcome to the West Coast. In my time today, what I would love to do is I'd just like to tell you a story. And then I want to explain how that story relates to why 2,000 years after Jesus Christ stepped into human history, today around the world, billions of people are still celebrating it. So Eli woke up early on the morning of his seventh birthday, but he didn't move a muscle. He stayed silent and still in his bed, in the room that he shared with his four-year-old little sister, Hannah. Now, if you would have asked Eli, he would have told you, Hannah was probably his favorite person in the world. Now, some little boys said that they couldn't stand their annoying little sisters, but that wasn't true of Eli. He would have probably told you that Hannah was his best friend. And if you would have asked Hannah, she would have told you, well, Eli is my protector. He's my guardian. He's my hero. And so when Eli woke up early on the morning of his seventh birthday, he stayed still and silent in his bed. He knew that Hannah needed every minute of sleep that she could get. See, Hannah had always been weak, but right around the time she turned one year old, she got real sick. And some days she really struggled just to breathe, to get enough air in her lungs to make it through. In fact, that was Eli's deepest fear. It was a fear that he carried with him every minute of every day that one time she wasn't gonna make it through and he was gonna be left alone in the world without his best friend. But other days were better. Other days, Hannah got out of bed and she laughed and she ran and they played and those were the best days, the absolute best days. And so when Eli woke up early on the morning of his seventh birthday, he stayed silent And still, everybody in the house knew the rules. We let Hannah sleep as long as we possibly can. I should clarify, by the way, when I say everybody in the house, there was only three of them. It was Hannah and Eli and their mom. Father had laughed around the time that Hannah got sick. He didn't tell them he was leaving. He just headed out one morning and he never came back. 
He had always been distant, never really been involved with Eli, never really been interested in Eli, but still having your dad head out one day and never come back, it left a hole in little Eli's heart. He would daydream sometimes. He would daydream that father would show up again with money and presents and food and a really, really good excuse. Hey guys, I'm so sorry I've been gone for three years, but here's what happened. And somehow it would all make sense and somehow everything would be better. But he knew deep down inside that wasn't going to happen. In fact, when he really thought about it for as long back as he could remember, it had really just been the three of them. Hannah and Eli and mom. And if Hannah was his best friend, his mom, well, she was his hero. Unlike father, she was there for her family. She worked, she borrowed, she begged, literally, to put food on their table, to keep a roof over their head, clothes on their back, and shoes on their feet. And yet, she was the most generous person that Eli had ever seen. She would say to the kids often, if you see someone in need, share what you have. If you see someone in need, share what you have. If you see someone in need, share what you have. She said it so often that they would just finish the sentence for her. If you see someone, we know, Mom, we know. Share what you have. And they did. What little they had, they shared with the lost and the lonely, the hurting and the helpless, the broken and the bruised and the battered by life. Eli helped wherever he could. He worked odd jobs around the village to bring in a little bit of money. He cooked and he cleaned and he looked after Hannah, almost always without complaining. One time when Eli was five years old, six months after father had left, he got really upset. He was upset that he couldn't go out and play with the other boys. He was upset that he had to cook, that he had to clean, that he had to look after Hannah. He was really upset and he couldn't have articulated it at that time, but what he was really upset about was that his father had left without even saying goodbye. But on this particular day, he took it out on his mom. He threw a full-out temper tantrum. She tried to settle him down, but he just got more and more worked up until he shouted. He shouted loud enough for the neighbors to hear. He shouted, I hate this house. I hate this family. I hate my life. And silence descended on that little house as Eli stood in the middle of the room, breathing heavy, opening and clenching his fists. He looked at the floor. He looked at the ceiling. He looked at the walls. There was one place that he didn't want to look, but finally he did. He looked at his mom. And for the first time in his life, he saw tears in her eyes. And then rolling down her cheek, and then she looked at her son and she said, Eli, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that your life is so, so hard. And he ran to her in that moment and he hugged her and he made a decision. Little five-year-old Eli made a decision. He said, I am never going to hurt my mom again. And so he worked and he cooked and he cleaned and he looked after Hannah without complaining and he never would. A couple days earlier, his mom had asked him, hey, Eli, what do you want for your seventh birthday? Well, he knew that they didn't have anything, so he thought to himself, he said, you know what? It would be great, Mom, is if you could get off work early that day 
and we could have dinner, all three of us, Hannah, you, me, dinner together. That would be an amazing birthday. She said, I'll try, but is there anything else, Eli? He said, no, just Hannah, you, me, dinner together. That's it. But last night, she had surprised him. In order to understand the surprise, I should tell you this, that around the time of Eli's seventh birthday, everyone in Israel was talking about a man. Some said he was a great teacher. Some said a prophet. Some said a miracle worker. And still others said he was even more than all of that. His name was Jesus from Nazareth. Word had reached the village that Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee the very next day on Eli's birthday, and he was going to land really close to where they were. And so everyone in the village said, we're going to go see him for ourselves. We're going to hear this Jesus for ourselves. And Eli so badly wanted to go. He heard rumors that Jesus had said that God had a special place in his heart for people like Hannah and him. That God was a father to the fatherless. And that he had a special love for the poor and the lonely and the abandoned. Eli wanted to hear Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to meet Jesus. But he knew that he couldn't. He'd be at home looking after Hannah. But that was okay. It would be an amazing birthday. Hannah, mom, me, together, dinner. Amazing. Well, that's when his mom surprised him. She said, hey, how would you like to go meet Jesus tomorrow? He said, no, I'm fine, mom. I'm fine. I'll be here looking after Hannah. She said, no, I took the day off, Eli. I took the whole day off. I'm going to be here with Hannah. You're going to go meet Jesus. He couldn't help himself. He smiled from ear to ear. He hugged her. And he looked up, and for the second time in his life, he saw tears in her eyes, tears of joy. And then Hannah interrupted. She said, Eli, Eli, you need to watch. You need to watch everything that Jesus does. And you need to listen. You need to listen to everything that Jesus says, because tomorrow at your birthday dinner, you need to tell us all about it. And Eli promised that he would. And so when he woke up early on his seventh birthday, 6 a.m. to be exact, he stayed silent and still until Hannah finally woke up at 7. By 7.15, Eli's on his way out the door. His mom stops and she says, Eli, I packed you a lunch. A lunch? A lunch. See, they don't eat lunch in this family. They don't do lunch. They can't afford lunch. They're lucky to get two meals a day, morning and night. But yet, on this day, she packed him a lunch. He, he'd have a lunch like the other boys would have a lunch. So he carefully stopped and he placed that lunch. It was five small barley loaves and two sardines. It was lunch for the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poor. But as he placed that lunch into his pack, he felt like the richest kid in Israel. He made his way out the door. On his way out, his mom said, hey, Eli, if you see someone in need, the door closed behind him and he whispered to himself, share what you have. And the rest really is history. In fact, I thought I would read you a historical account of Eli's seventh birthday. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen him do among the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down surrounded by his disciples. 
When Jesus looked out and saw the large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They went to work and filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. The people realized that God was at work among them and what Jesus had just done. They said, this is a prophet for sure. God's prophet right here in Galilee. It's funny because some scholars say this. They say, we can't be certain about what became of the 12 baskets of leftovers after Jesus performed that miracle. It's funny because I'm very certain of what happened to those 12 baskets of leftovers after Jesus performed that miracle. The 12 baskets of leftovers went home with a little boy who was taught that when he saw a neat he was to share what he had. The 12 baskets of leftovers, they went home with Eli on his seventh birthday. See, I love this story a lot. And I wanted to share it with you tonight because to me it powerfully illustrates three simple truths that explain why 2,000 years after Jesus stepped into human history, it still matters to you. And it still matters to you. Three simple truths. Number one, God sees what others miss. God sees what others miss. Jesus had Eli in mind when he crossed the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to stop there because I want to make sure you really heard that. Jesus had Eli in mind when he crossed the Sea of Galilee that day. Jesus had Eli in mind. He knew he was going to meet with a little boy who had been taught that when he saw a need, he was supposed to share what he had. He knew that he was going to meet with a little boy with a broken heart because of a father who left without even saying goodbye. He knew he was going to meet with a little boy who was going to go home that night and tell his mom and his little sister, oh, I met Jesus. And he's more than they say. He's more than you could ever imagine. It was going to change the course of their little family. Please understand this. If you're going to understand why Christmas still matters today, know this. Jesus had Eli in mind when he crossed the Sea of Galilee that day. See, it's funny because around this time of the year, you hear people quote a verse, John 3, 16, awesome verse, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. John 3, 16, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Man, there's some big words in that verse, right? For God so loved the world. That's a lot of people. It's like billions and billions and billions of people. That he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, throughout all of human history, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, whoever believes in him, billions and billions and billions and billions of people. It's kind of overwhelming in a way. 
I think it's kind of important in this moment to have some rudimentary mathematical skills. So I went to public school in Red Deer, Alberta, so I'm gonna give this a crack. Here's how I think God looks at it. Billions and billions, you know how you get to billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of people? Here's how. One, plus one, plus one, plus one. One little boy, one little girl, one woman, one man, one life, one story at a time. How do you get to billions and billions and billions and billions? One plus one plus one plus one. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Jesus is so powerful that he's personal. Like when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee that day, he had a plan for the 20,000 people that would be assembled. Remember? 5,000 men plus women and children. 20,000 people. He had a plan for all of them. And yet, he had Eli in mind when he made that crossing. So you're like, okay, Mike, which is it? Did, did, did he have a plan for the 20,000 or a plan for Eli? Yes, he did. He sure did. He's powerful and he's personal. He's so infinite that he's intricate. I would say this to you tonight, really important. And Jesus had you in mind when he stepped into human history. Jesus had you in mind when he stepped into human history. It's funny when you think about it, right? Like all the ways that God could have sent his son to enter into history. All the pomp, all the circumstance, all the razzle, all the extravagance, but none of that. Jesus came as a baby. Born to a poor Jewish couple. Laid in a manger in a stable in a little back woods town that nobody had heard of called Bethlehem. Now there's a lot of reasons for that, but can I give you one? He wanted you and I to never forget, never forget that God sees what others miss. Let me put that another way. What the world sees as small matters to God a lot. What the world sees as small matters to God a lot. God had Eli in mind when he sent Jesus across the Sea of Galilee that day. God had you in mind when he sent his son. I could even take that a step further. God had you in mind when he inspired us to plan this service tonight exactly as we planned it. See, I'm not exactly sure why you're watching online right now but I'm talking to you. God had you in mind. Yeah, you're the one right now sitting on the couch with your baseball cap on backwards and you can't believe that you're watching church online. You're in a state of shock right now. How did this happen? You know, someone bribed you. They said, you can't have dinner until you watch church or we're not gonna give you your present. We're not gonna give you your Atari gaming system until you, until you watch church. I'm talking about you. God had you in mind. God had you in mind. Or you're here in person right now, and I want you to know that I'm talking about you. If you're sitting there right now thinking that you're the least likely person in the world to be sitting in a church right now, he's talking to you. He had you in mind when he planned tonight.
If you're a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman, and somewhere along the line, you've been told that God would never want anything to do with someone like you. He likes well-behaved people, not people like you. They're wrong. God loves you. God had you in mind when he sent his son. God had you in mind when he planned this service tonight. The first truth, if we're really gonna understand why Christmas still means something to you and me, the first truth is this. God sees what others miss. What the world sees as small matters to God a lot because here's what I know about me and maybe you can relate a little bit. There's times in my life that I feel small. I feel discarded. I feel unimportant. I feel ignored. And I guess I needed to tell you tonight, God hasn't forgotten you and he never will. God sees what others miss. What the world sees as small matters to God a lot. Truth number two, God meets our deepest needs. It's just an interesting, simple story, 20,000 hungry people. 20,000 hungry people. But, but I actually think it's a pretty simple expression of the human experience. I would say this, I think we all have inside of us a spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger. I'll explain it this way. You know this already though. So I'll tell you what you already know, okay? You're a lot more than meets the eye. You're a lot deeper than people think. You're a lot more than brains and brawn, you know this. You're a lot more than what you can bench press. Although, good job, you bench a lot, that's awesome, but you're a lot more than that. You're a lot more than your IQ score, you know this. You're a lot deeper than that. C.S. Lewis said it this way, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body, you're way deeper. And there's a spiritual hunger that every one of us has, and I think maybe we feel it more keenly at a time of year like this. We look around and we go, there's gotta be more, you know? There's gotta be more hope. There's gotta be more peace. There's gotta be more pleasure. There's gotta be more love. There's gotta be more wonder. There's gotta be more fulfillment. There's gotta be more contentment. There has got to be more. And here's the thing, I think, honestly, I don't think you're just a dissatisfied person. I think that's natural, and I think what that's leading you to is Jesus, because I really truly know this, that Jesus is the more that we've been looking for. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is the more that you and me have been looking for all along. I said this earlier, I said that Jesus had you in mind when he stepped into human history. Can we stop and think about that for a second? Jesus had you in mind. Like you on the edge of the couch right now with a backward baseball cap, you. You sitting here right now thinking that you're the last person this could apply to, you. Jesus had you in mind when he stepped into human history. Do you know what that means? You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose by a God who doesn't make mistakes. You started out as a dream in the mind of God. You started out as a dream in the mind of God. It's a good dream, too. Oh, you're loved. You're cared for. You're incredibly valuable. Who? You. If you were the only one in human history who needed to be rescued, Jesus would have come for you. 
It's funny because every other worldview, every other religion, every other school of thought, every other philosophy teaches something like this. Hey, if you want salvation, strive for it. You want eternity? You earn it. You want to get to heaven? Climb. But Jesus knew me, and he knew you, and he knew something about us that, well, we can't strive hard enough. We can't earn it. We can't climb high enough. So instead of standing back with an ambivalent gaze, looking at you going, come on, man, step up. He didn't do that. He sent his son, and his son stepped in. He came to us. He had you in mind when he sent his son. Not only that, Jesus stepped into human history and then he died. You wonder, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Here's why. This is really important that we know this. Because he needed to face our most feared enemy. Death is our most feared enemy. Jesus had to face our enemy. I've been thinking about it this week, how death takes many forms, doesn't it? There's a lot of people I know who are living a waking death. It's kind of like this. They're just clinging on to their past, clinging on to the pain, the hurt, the regret, and the shame of their past. And it's a waking death because they're unable at that point to take hold of the beauty of today and the promise of tomorrow. Jesus died so that you could live you could get past your past, healing for your hurts, forgiveness for your sins, a fresh start. And if you were the only one in history who needed to be forgiven, Jesus would have died for you. And not only that, but he rose again. It's really important, he defeated death. He rose again in power, the Bible says. I like that, he rose again in power. He rose in power. That's important, you know, because we need power. If I'm going to keep telling you, you started out as a dream in the mind of God, and that was a good dream, I think that's all true. But I think for many of us, we're like, okay, but I'd like to like, live that. I'd like to live like everything I was created to be. And that's where the power comes in. See, Jesus rose again so you can rise too, to be everything you were created to be, to be the man, to be the woman you were created to be, to be the spouse, to be the friend, to be the parent, to be the creative force of genius that you were created to be in this world. Step out of the insecurity. Step out of the jealousy. Step out of the darkness. Step into the light. If you were the only one in history who needed to be saved, who needed to rise, he would have rose again just for you. Three truths. Number one, God sees what others miss. What the world sees as small matters to God a lot. Number two, God meets our deepest needs. Jesus is actually the more that we've been looking for. And finally, number three, God gives what we can't earn. God gives what we can't earn. Don't you love little Eli? Shows up with like the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poor people lunch. Five little barley loaves and two sardines. And he walks out of there with what? 12 baskets of leftovers. Let's go. That's a great deal right there. Got me thinking, you know. What is, what is it about Christmas? Why do, why do we give gifts at Christmas? Where did that start? Like, I love giving gifts. Can I tell you something about the way I give gifts? We draw names in my family. And we buy for each other, and we come up with a, 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 a spending limit. And I always spend way, way, way more than the limit every year. 
because I just want everyone to be sad that they didn't get me as a, I do. I did it again this year. I don't even care. I love it. I really love it. It doesn't really have anything to do with the sermon, but I just thought I would tell you that. But why do we do that? Oh, it's easy. The reason we do that is because Christmas, 2,000 years ago, was the greatest gift that anyone ever could have received. It's, it, it's a, it's, it's a um, five loaves and two sardines to 12 baskets of leftovers type deal, except better. What does Jesus want to give you today? Christmas of 2022, what's his gift to you? It's already bought, it's already paid for, it's really simple. He just wants to give you forgiveness of sins and healing for your hurts. In other words, a fresh start, move past your past. He wants to give you strength for today. The power to change to become everything that you were created to be. Hope for tomorrow and the promise of eternity. Your body's gonna wear out one day. Some of you are looking at me going, really? Yeah, wait till you get my age. You'll know exactly what I mean. Your body is gonna wear out one day. You're never gonna wear out though. I don't know. You were made for eternity, eternal life. And so a million years from now, you and I are gonna be looking at each other and we're gonna be saying, hey, 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 the best is yet to come and we are going to be right. That's the gift, it's already bought, it's already paid for, that's it. What does he want from you? I don't know. Say, well, I don't have much going for me, kind of like five loaves and two fish, kind of like that, yeah, yeah. He just wants you. All the highs and the lows, all the darkness and all the light, all the regret and all the trophies, just your faith. It's already bought, it's already paid for. The opportunity that we have here in Christmas of 2022 is just to take hold of what he's already got for you and for me. So as I close, I just invite us to take a moment of reflection. If you could close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. That's my question, <laughs> really simple. Your gift has already been purchased. It's already secure. So my question for you tonight is just this, is tonight the night, is tonight the night that you take hold of it? If that's you, I wanna pray for you right now. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you wanna just raise your hand nice and high right now so I can pray for you? Amazing, amazing. Online, if it's safe to do so, you can raise your hand if that's you also. Okay, you can put your hands down if your hand is up, if you raised your hand. I'm gonna pray out loud and you just pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you had me in mind tonight. You had me in mind a long, long, long time ago. Through all the twists and all the turns and all the ups and all the downs, you've never stopped loving me and you never will. So Jesus, today I ask you to be my savior, give you my past, and I take from you a fresh start, a new beginning, forgiveness and healing. And I ask you to be my Lord, you rose again. So Jesus, I pray that I would rise to that bit by bit, step by step, moment by moment, I would become more and more the person that you created me to be. And for all my friends, online and in person right now, 
that are joining together this Christmas season, I just pray for blessings. God, I pray that you would bless them. Bless them with family, bless them with food. And as we exchange gifts this season, bless us with one clear thought that it all started with you. It all started with you. It all started with you. It will all finish with you. Because of you, the best is always yet to come. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We can celebrate. Hey, if you're online or in person, you just raised your hand and prayed that, I would just love for you to do one thing for me. Could you please text the keyword life, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040? Just want to encourage you, help you in whatever way that we can. I love you guys a lot. The band has one more song, so why don't you stand?
Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It was amazing to spend this part of today with you. We hope you get home safe, and we'll see you back on January 8th. Merry Christmas. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.